episode is brought to you by Atmosphere Press, a hybrid publisher helping authors publish books their readers will love. As this is the Hybrid Author Podcast, I'm absolutely thrilled to have a hybrid publisher as a sponsor. And Atmosphere Press are a wonderful bunch of people made up of an international team of book professionals bringing books from raw manuscripts all the way through editorial, proofreading, interior design, cover design, publication, global distribution and publicity. In true hybrid style, Atmosphere Press authors keep all their book rights and are involved every step of the way. They have free book giveaways and free author publicity opportunities available right now so head on over to atmospherepress.com links in the show notes they are especially eager to publish new work from australian authors so make sure to reach out to them for a manuscript review and don't forget to make mention of the hybrid author podcast in your query or cover letter which will get you a special expedited review hello authors i'm joanne morell children's and young adult fiction writer and author of short non-fiction for authors Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. authors. I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is a loner sold from me and I'm chatting about artificial intelligence and asking the question, will you or won't you make a point of trying it this year? And I share the fears and fours from author organisations such as the Australian Society of Authors, ASA, and the Alliance of Independent Authors, Ally. I talk about my personal experiences and what I've discovered through the softwares I'm using and how they're using AI and so much more. So in my author adventure this week, I've been busy with another business development class which was focused on marketing and risk factors of a business this time instead of business opportunities. I'm picking up lots of invaluable information which some I've come across before but I guess I've never really implemented into my book business. So I'm looking forward to taking the time to put what I've learned into practice. In women's fiction news, I have received my manuscript back from my amazing editor, Zina Shaptar. And if you missed Zina's episode on the Hybrid Author podcast, it was a couple episodes back, and she's t- she chats about making money with emotion. So make sure you tune in to listen to that, because Zina is fantastic, really knowledgeable. So I'm, my weekend's going to be spent working through Zina's edits and uh, getting the manuscript into great shape. So if you tuned into last week's episode, or you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll know that I planned on self-publishing this work and launching it in March this year and I've since seen a competition I'm going I've made the decision I'm going to put the work into the competition it closes on the 31st of January and the winner is announced in May and this the prize is pretty great I think it's a traditional deal with Harlequin which is uh, imprint off of uh, HarperCollins and the prize is a 10,000 grand advance as well as the publishing deal so now I usually have the way that I work I've usually got a list of self-published books and a list of traditional books to work on so book ideas that come to me I kind of got a bit of an intuition that I think that that will be I'll self-publish that or that will 
I'll try and get that a traditional deal. Just the way I seem to work, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's maybe what I think the market, what suits the market better. So this, this has kind of come out of the blue, this competition, because I had always intentionally, from last year, the experiment was to write women's fiction and put them out rapid release. Now, that was a flop for me last year. So apart from obviously getting one of the books finished, and this is the writer, the hairdresser and the nurse, it was a story that uh, was inspired by a book cover I had originally seen. So I do have a cover for the work. I have forked out for professional editing. I do have a plan in place for how I was going to put this book out. And then this competition's come along and you know, I don't have to enter it at all, but I just feel like it's it's a really good opportunity. And I guess maybe that's because I've just been doing these business courses, learning about business opportunities and business development and things like that. And this just feels like it's only if it might be a different story if it was uh, being announced at the end of the year. But the fact it's only being announced, you know, if I'm going to launch in March, April, May, a couple months later, if nothing comes of it, then I can still launch it. And I, I have all that in place. It's not a problem. And I just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> this just feels right. So I'm going to do it. And I also feel like it's a testament to how far I've come in my writing career that I'm not rushing to get this work out. I'm not rushing to self-publish it to make some money on it. The money will come. It, it's I'm, I'm changing tact for what's, what's best for me at this time and making allowances for that. And, you know, I feel quite proud of myself, actually, you know, just, just this patience is is really it's going to work for me I think that's it's definitely what a lesson learned I was supposed to learn by becoming a writer the art of patience we all have to learn it as writers I'm sure you are too and in the beginning I definitely was just desperate to get my, my work out there get get me out there get this career started because I feel like you know, I came to this sort of in my late 20s, early 30s, you know, taking, doing a lot of study in the writing genre, taking it seriously and just realising this is really what I want to do with my life. And I've really been all in for the last eight to 10 years and it's still just, I, I've come on so far. But a lot of it just feels like I haven't achieved a lot either in terms of earning an income. But there's a lot of things at play that in my life that has stopped me from from that. And I have earned an income for the last uh, eight to ten years as a writer, not as an author of books. But and I ha well, I have for the two nonfiction books I've got, but not a full time wage <laughs> that I, I needed to. So I just wanted to say there's no right or wrong way to do something. If you make a plan in your business and then see opportunities that arise which change your plans then go for them if that's what you want to do go for it don't worry about it nothing is set in stone you don't have to stick to the plan you make so if you like me I probably start to think of this year in October get in early I'm not you know doing it in December that's that's just the time frame for me so these the you know even if you make a plan then plans and goals and things like that they, they need to be assessed and reassessed for where you're at now in your life you know I've got many book writing aspirations and for me it's one of the main reasons why I'm hybrid. I don't want and physically can't be across all of these book aspirations myself. I can't take on everything myself. I can't. I, I could, I suppose, but I don't think I would be doing it a justice. And I, I, I probably physically can't. It, that came about when I have been writing in the children's fiction field and then put out a couple of non-fiction books and I just struggled to have two pen names or to have two be in a million different places at once that is how the hybrid author was originally born it is a place for me to have 
everything I do in the one place. It's a reason that it exists. I keep everything under the one umbrella. The term hybrid covers all bases, if you ask me. It's not just one way of doing things. I'm not just Joanne Morell, non-fiction author, Jay-Z Morell, children's and YA author, and soon-to-be pseudonym Zara Ellen for my women's fiction, which is actually my middle names, by the way, so I'm not sure if that's a pseudonym, if it's my real names. Uh, but perhaps I've gotten the way that I do things, the genre is a little bit mixed up, you know, of what works for traditional and what works for self-published. I also feel like this is, this traditional deal competition thing looks quite good to me right now because of my current situation. So I am separated uh, from my husband now. I'm a single mother. This is quite different from six months ago. And I'm definitely feeling like I don't want to do everything myself at the moment because that's exactly what I'm doing in my life. You know, everything myself, raising my kids, earning an income, all of it. I just think where I'm at in life, having some tasks being done for me is going to help me with my workload and my mental state like immensely. Having that extra help in one part of my author business will help. And that, that's been it from the start, but I always felt it was going to be the children's fiction. Never really set out with women's fiction or... But again, I'm writing women's fiction for where I'm at in my life, not, not the separation or anything like that. Just that I am an almost 40-something woman. I'm currently 38 years old and I have been living as a woman for a long time there's a lot that comes with that marriage and children and relationships and things and yeah life <laughs> not something you can write about in the children's fiction genre so I felt like I had a lot to say and I'm super proud of that women's fiction book it's not me or my life but I really I, I didn't have to hold back with the language and the way that I said something or the emotions or anything like that it was just go for your life and I really think this is where my writing is at the moment and needs to be for the older voice that is because the next work I'm, I've, I've made a start on which is a young adult fiction and I'm also looking at a traditional competition for that one now that was intended in my business plan for this year and that's a bit later on down the track as well but I've started character building for the YA and this is going to be my main writing project for the next couple of months. I've got a deadline to finish the plotting by the end of Jan and then begin writing in Feb for it to be finished by end of March, which is competition deadline and that one gets announced in October. So again, these two projects are traditional deals that are a couple months away for one and well, yeah, a few months away for one and then quite far many months away for the other. So in that time, I still have two nonfiction books, but you know, earning an income from a book business in that time needs to come from somewhere else, just a regular income from somewhere else until these books can earn me some money. And that's okay. That is okay. That is the way of it. It's it's not a rush for earning money because I know that they will. It's just about the work being the best it can be and the best way to get my work out in the world. Will you or won't you AI? By now you should have heard of the term AI. It stands for artificial intelligence. It's talked about on the news, on social media, and most likely in whatever industry you are in. It is coming at us hard and fast. It is here and it is being used. You might be already using it and you are unaware. For the better part of last year, I listened in on the conversations taking place on social media, on podcasts and in the media. I listened closely and watched on in the writing community. It felt like it was a very complex term, AI. Very scientific. And I don't particularly classify myself as a massive tech head. I am computer savvy and I know a thing or two about certain software programs. I have listened to authors who are 
for AI, chat on how they are using the tool to help them with their author business, work faster and smarter than before. I have listened to the authors who have pitchforked against AI as they feel their livelihood and jobs and future of the industry is at stake. And in many instances, their work has been taken by AI and used, but they have not been compensated for it. Industry bodies have started discussing it in great length and holding panel sessions on the subject. And some authors are going to even greater lengths to begin to earn money out of teaching other authors and how to utilize it in their author business. So the Australian Society of Authors, and I'll share the links in the show notes, has a statement on their website that says, artificial intelligence AI offers new opportunities and efficiencies, but also poses significant risks to the creative industries. It is imperative that the development and use of generative AI is carefully regulated. The rights of human creators must be safeguarded and their contributions to the development of AI technologies acknowledged and compensated. Strongly agree. (laughs) Generative AI models are trained by ingesting huge corpuses of data known as training data sets or inputs, which include copyright works such as books, journals, essays and articles. The quality of the outputs is reliant on the quality of the training data sets or inputs. It is undisputed that the works in the training data sets have been copied without permission from or payment to creators. What's more, this technology risks displacing and diminishing the value of authors and illustrators' labour. So I have, as someone who is uh, searching regularly for like a part-time work and casual work to support my family as a single person now uh, while I build up this book business further I see these jobs advertise for you know data sets or data input people for AI now they pay so low they pay ridiculous like $20 an hour this is obviously for people to input data into generative AI models and what they're saying is you know information is getting just plucked from places and people are just sticking it in there and it couldn't it might not be correct for a start but they're also not checking with the creators or the people whose work it is. If they're allowed to use it, they're just shoving it in there. And that is, I don't agree with that at all. I agree that we should be paid for the use of our work, like a license, I suppose. We know that generative AI will reduce supplementary sources of income and skills building opportunities for authors and artists, such as copywriting and concepting art jobs. We are also concerned that inferior AI generated content will flood the market, making discoverability harder for professional writers and lowering quality for consumers. Given the very low earnings of authors, average of $18,200 per year, and now I'm saying that lightly because I listen to a lot of other podcasts as well and a lot of other sources that claim the way that these figures of author earnings have been detected don't, uh, they don't talk about direct sales, they, they, they're pretty mismatched. So take what people say with the average earning of an author with a pinch of salt talking about self-published authors as well, the people who are selling direct and making direct sales. Even a small disruption to income may mean the permanent loss of many professional writers, resulting in a contraction of authentic Australian voices of unique Australian perspective and a future skills gap. We support the development of the basically saying there that, you know, it's going to be harder to sell your work or be found because of all the crap that AI is going to flood the market with. (laughs) And people are just going to not bother because it's not going to be worth their time and there's they're worried about losing that we support the development of new technology but this development must be done ethically the asa position is that the laws and policies regulating ai should ensure authorization 
fair compensation and transparency. 100%. The ASA welcomes the Australian government's recognition that AI must be regulated to ensure its safe and responsible development and use, and believes that industry must act transparently and be guided by ethical and human-centred principles. So it talks about authorization and compensation. AI developers must be required to seek authorization from writers and illustrators to use their works to train generative AI and to fairly compensate the creators who grant such authorization. To write, again, it's it's about use of your work. If someone wants to use it, then they need to pay you for it. It's your work. Copyright owners earn a living from licensing their work and must share in the financial rewards derived from using their intellectual property. It is axiomatic, I don't know if I'm saying that right, that any business relying on a third party's intellectual property to develop a new product or service must seek a license from the owner of that intellectual property. To ignore this is to ignore the cost of creating cultural material, treat authors' intellectual work as a free public commodity, disregard copyright laws and undercut the living wage of professional writers and artists. Market-based solutions such as direct or collective licensing remain an effective mechanism to support new forms of exploitation. Licensing owners and authors' right to exploit their works or refuse to do so and ensures that authors are appropriately remunerated. It's The ASA has our best interests at heart. They fight for authors' rights and they're just basically saying not that these tools are bad but that they need to be used correctly and us as authors need compensation for our work so we're hoping that these laws and this is what the ASA is fighting for will come into play soon. Transparency and trustworthiness. Transparency is crucial in ensuring the safe, ethical and fair development of AI technologies. Generative AI companies must be required to be transparent about both inputs and outputs. Inputs. AI developers must be regarded to disclose copyright works used for AI training and for what purpose. There is global precedent for this. The draft EU AI Act, for instance, requires foundation model, model AI developers to publish summaries of copyright material used for AI training. This is important to avoid serious and well-documented issues of bias, to appropriately acknowledge the use of original content, and to let creators know if their rights have been infringed. Outputs. AI-generated products should be labelled as such it is essential for educational research and cultural institutions as well as consumers to be able to easily identify AI-generated works. AI developers and users must be required to declare when a work is wholly or partially AI-generated. I 100% agree with that also. So this is going to be, everyone knows, it's not going away. It's too special, it's too new, it's too game-changing. And it's here and it's already being used. So this is what this episode is all about. You know, will you or won't you use AI? But what they're saying here is that whether you choose to work with AI to write something or make something, it has to be, you have to state that. You can't just claim it as your own. And I just think it's just another way. If people don't give a, a shit for better, bit, want of a better word that this was made by AI or this is whatever, if they don't really care where it came from, fair enough. But some people do. It's like uh, we have Amazon as a big retailer and some people are anti big retailers they want to support local and it might come to that people want to support human authors directly rather than these technology made books that type of thing so 
Yeah, it should definitely be cited if this has been generated with AI, I think, where it's come from. That's what we cite when we write a book. We have the author, we have the publisher, we have the illustrator. How it was all made, I think, definitely needs to be cited. Authors play an irreplaceable role in our society, entertaining, challenging, educating and inspiring countless readers, as well as fueling the broader creative industries. Human creativity and human knowledge is essential to a healthy, resilient, democratic and modern society. New technologies ought to serve our community and unlock new opportunities to our creative industries. If regulated appropriately, AI represents a chance to support Australian authors, artists and publishers rather than displace our creators to the detriment of our nation's unique or cultural landscape. So that's a pretty pretty powerful article, I feel, and like I said, I'll link in the show notes, and I agree with loads of things that that article says as well. It's really just fighting for our rights, making sure that we're not being ripped off here by people just taking our work. It's It's not been okay before in the internet. It's not okay now. So the other article that I wanted to touch on is from Ally, the Alliance of Independent Authors, a self-publishing advice platform. So it's AI for Authors Guidelines. For those of you who haven't heard of Joanna Penn, she is she runs the Creative Pen podcast and she is very uh, known for being involved with AI and uh, she is Alliance of Independent Authors AI and Enterprise Advisor. So this article, I'm assuming, has been written by Joe, And it says, after an open and assessed conversation, and just to let you know, she is all for these tools. She can see what is good about them. And she uh, really shares a lot. So her article says, after an open and assessed conversation with our members, advisors, and other interested parties, the Alliance of Independent Authors has developed some practical and ethical guidelines to AI for authors. Particular thanks to Joanna Penn, Ally's Enterprise Advisor, Lawrence O'Brien of Books Go Social, Amit Gupta of Pseudorite, and J.D. Lashia of Authors AI for their contributions. So hopefully I said everyone's name right there. The job of the independent author. So this, the Alliance of Independent Authors, is really a body of uh, an organisation that supports self-published authors. I'm a member. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that I joined last year. I have been to an online self-publishing conference and it's just a fantastic group of people and just working for fair rights for self-published authors and weeding out all the bad baddies as well in the industry so the job of the independent author is to write great words publish great books and bring those books to the readers who will value them most ai provides tools that are useful in this work but also raises many practical ethical and creative questions in the ally glossary we define artificial intelligence as technology that replicates human behaviors and abilities conventionally seen as intelligent and augmented intelligence as applications or tools that combine human and machine intelligence both are referred to as ai when an author thinks about ai it can evoke excitement and how these powerful new technologies can help us to bring out out more books and better books or fear that the machines are going to displace writers and other creatives in a near future where ai gives readers what they need and want without us or a mix of both or a great big yawn. Given that AI can already generate or translate the first draft of a book faster than I can write this blog post, should we all pack up our word processors and go home? Short answer, no. In framing the questions we want to ask about AI, we need to distinguish between our feelings and opinions about the pros and cons of AI, the ethical issues, and the practical consideration of how AI tools can help us do our, our work more effectively and efficiently. AI and Authors Practical Guidelines. 
You are likely already using AI in your author publishing business. For example, Google search or Amazon algorithms. These are examples of what, what's known as narrow AI, offering specific expertise in a particular area. Google's search AI is better at doing research than you using a library card. Amazon's AI recommendation engine can suggest far more books to readers than the most knowledgeable bookseller. Tools based on narrow AI of interest to authors include advertising ag algorithms, reader analysis and engagement, search and sales engines, translation software and speech to tech. More complex activities like writing novels or AI narration for audiobooks employ natural language processing (NLP) and natural language generation (NLG) AI that creates words based on training algorithms on big data sets. Such tools are already being used in the generation of journalism on major newspapers and making inroads in creative works like novels and non-fiction books, screenplays and poetry. Producing AI-generated text got easier with the arrival of GPT-3, Generative Pre-trained Transformer version 3 in June 21. In November 22, OpenAI launched the game-changing game ChatGBT, Generative generative pre-trained transformer built on top of OpenAI's GPT 3.5 and GPT 4.0. A Chinese language model 10 times bigger than GPT 3 has also launched, as well as an open source language model Eleuthera AI, all of which will accelerate tool development and language processing. There are a lot of new tools being built on various AI models, with new ones popping up every day. In other words, this is only the beginning. The consequences are vertiginous, says the New Yorker in a recent article, the computers are getting better at writing. Whatever field you are in, if it uses language, it is about to be transformed. The changes that are coming are fundamental to every method of speaking and writing that presently exists. On the practical side, Ally Enterprise and AI advisor Joanna Penn suggests that the most important questions for a working indie author to ask about AI right now include, which AI tools do I want to implement in my writing and publishing? Which of my writing and publishing challenges can be met by AI solutions? Where do I draw my personal creative, commercial and ethical boundaries with AI? So it was a good article that has a lot more parts to it. And again, I'll link in the show notes so you can go on and read it in further detail. So will you or won't you use AI? My experiences. My first positive experience with AI was through my podcast hosting platform, Castos. And that's C-A-S-T-O-S to which I am affiliate, so I will put a link in the show notes if you are looking for a hosting platform, couldn't recommend Castos more. But basically through Castos, I have an AI assistant now, which it's not just me, it's, it's on the platform for everyone who uses Castos. The AI assistant generates transcripts of my podcast episodes. Now this is inevitably, transcribing is a, a job, it was a job before, and I know this to be a fact, as this is one of the reasons I don't do transcripts for my episodes having to pay someone to transcribe my podcast. At A, I don't have the money. Um, I'm, I just don't. And uh, because you pay for these platforms, these hosting things, um, it's just another expense. So I simply don't have the funds to pay someone to do it. I considered doing it myself in the past, but reaching up, you know, hundreds of episodes, I was like, hey, this will take me forever. So once this tool was implemented into Castos and I clicked the button that said it would be automatically transcribed. I think it's been since the 100th episode, 101, my episodes have been transcribed. 
uh, no extra charge. This means that my podcast episode can be consumed by individuals who are hearing impaired. They can now read my content online or yeah, via the platform. It can, it can be enjoyed by others who prefer to consume content this way, you know, in written word form. This is an absolute benefit of using AI. And I, do, I did sort of think about the person whose job this was and what that meant for them. But the way I see it is they can implement this too into their business to work harder and faster. They can charge a cheaper rate service because they're using using AI tools, but they're still doing the work for the human that the human doesn't have time to do themselves. For me to sit and transcribe an episode, even though it might not take long now with these AI tools, it's still another thing. There's just, and I'm a one woman band. And you know, it's just hard to keep up with with lots of things. So you could still pay a small price to someone if you can afford it for them to, to do this job for you using these tools. It doesn't have to make that person obsolete in the work that they do by any means. They could offer a human-only service at a higher price because it will take them longer to transcribe and an AI service or whatnot. But, um, you know, there's been free software tools like this well before this AI assistant arrived, uh, which was what I was going to use. Um, you, you know, you can utilize dictation voice software through Microsoft Word and that can come out and you've, you've still got to go through it and make sure it checks and things like that. So there's still that human element of the editorial phase. I also use Canva. I'm sure many of you do too, to create graphics for social media and this podcast. I still, and, and resumes and all sorts of stuff. I still use a human graphic designer for my front covers, um, have done for my nonfiction, but I'm also probably in the future, we'll be looking at different ways of doing things too. As I said, I'm a hybrid author. That means I'll utilize not just one way of doing things. I'm open to many different ways. So designers could, a designer could showcase custom made designs that they've made from themselves, but they could also incorporate AI designs if they wanted to have a play around. I just think that these tools are about working with rather than making making humans feel obsolete or their jobs. And, And businesses are adopting these tools into their best practices because they know a, it, they could probably see the benefits of them, but they also know if they don't, they're going to get left behind because they're not going to be able to keep up with the fast fastness of it. So my question to you is review the programs you use and actually Google what and how they incorporate AI. You know, what software do you use? You'll actually find most of these apps are powered by AI tools. So if you use Microsoft Word, Excel, I use Scrivener, they're powered by AI. They're already using AI soft like tools. AI <laughs> counterparts or apps in in their in their software. So, will you or won't you use AI in your writing? So, I thought it was time after I said I've I've made this episode because I have very much paid attention to the conversations taking place in the last year. I haven't got involved. I've just sort of been watching from either side. But I thought it's definitely time to play around with these AI tools and see for myself. So, I started with Google's AI Bard, B A R D. If you just type in Google Bard, this is what will come up. It's like a chat box thing, like a web page, but it's a chat chat box like you're asking questions. So I asked some some questions um, to do with writing, mainly on emotions to see what it came up with. So I asked what are the, what are the human body's reactions to emotional responses of feeling sad? And it gave some very simple answers, which were all pretty obvious. And I wasn't particularly blown away with any of the responses I received from Google Bard in any of the searches I made. To be honest, I thought it was quite poor. So that didn't really freak me out or anything. Then I tried the very popular chat GBT, and that was much more advanced. It gave much more detailed, long lists of emotions, but the same as Google Bard, there is no, like the internet, when you put in the search bar and loads of uh, sites come up, 
that site the author, the date, where where this information came from in AI, in these AI chat box bots, the generative AI, it does not cite anything at all from where it's taking the information or where it's got it from. So this is what all these articles are talking, the ASA are talking about before, ethical behavior and compensation for where these data places are getting their information, you know, for authors. So I actually asked it my name, my books and the hybrid author just to see what the, you know, what came up, but it was the same response for them all. So obviously there's no information in generative AI about me or my books yet. It just says as of, and the response I got was, as of my last knowledge update in January, 2022 this is chat gbt and it's probably the older version it's not number four or what you have to pay for these are the free ones as of my last knowledge update in january 2022 i have I don't have specific information about a book titled Author Fears and How to Overcome Them by Joanne Morell. It's possible that this book was published or became known after my last update or it might be associated with a niche or local audience. To get the most accurate and up-to-date information about the book and its author, I recommend checking online bookstores, the author's official website or all the other reputable sources that provide information about literary works. Additionally, if Joanne Morell is an author or expert in a specific field, exploring relevant community communities, forums or social media platforms might provide more insights into her her work and any publication she may have so it was uh yeah that was its response for all that if it doesn't know something that that was its response i asked it to write sales copy for my women's fiction book uh, because i know a lot of people are sort of using it for these types of jobs that they feel they don't have the time to do but you know <laughs> i've done this a couple of times and i've noticed it loves to with women's fiction it loves to use the word sisterhood and again maybe perhaps it, it was super gen generic because of my search of what i said you know write a sales copy write sales copy for women's fiction book about friendship or something like that but again i wasn't truly blown away by what it was saying so i don't see how people would just copy and paste that i really didn't think it was that great so if if authors are you know typing searches in like that and then copying and pasting exactly what that ai has presented whether you edit it or not i just feel like you, it's the same as the internet. You can't just copy and paste something and pass it off as your own. <laughs> That's plagiarism, if you ask me. So AI is inevitably, no doubt, the internet of the future. Where we type our queries into search engines or search bars, we will soon begin to ask AI chatbots directly for information. And that's okay. Much like the internet is a wealth of knowledge, these AI tools' responses should not be plagiarized and information from where it's originally sourced should be named and where required the author and creator should be getting compensated. Like today's laws, you know, that's what should be going on. No one should be copying and pasting anything written by this thing. Because as far as I'm concerned, just because you fluff it up with a few bits of editing, it's not your own words. You're you're taking, you're stealing someone else's work, if you ask me. However, using it for learning I would encourage, I think, when it gets better. So the way that I'm looking at AI, it's like a calculator. You should try and work out the problem first yourself before checking it on the calculator to see if it's right or you've missed anything which could make your problem, your answers better. So meaning I'm going to think about the emotional responses of my characters in my work when they're mad or they're sad and how they react, you know, their facial expressions, their body, the way that they react to these human emotions before 
looking up on the computer. Now, I would even look that up on the internet. How does the body react when it's sad? Just to make see all the options, to make sure I've incorporated a few different ones because I definitely noticed in my, my women's fiction as well, sometimes because, you know, it's quite a big work and the character's often having a mad or a sad response to something can't have them having the same mad or sad response all the time they can't just be crying all the time or you know <laughs> pumping their fists all the time there's other ways that you can show emotions and i definitely think of these things myself but making sure that there's a, a broad range as well is a good idea just to check that you've not missed anything blatant so I haven't actually, you can, I've heard that you can create covers and images with AI tools. I haven't done that. I haven't played around with it yet or artwork or anything like that. That's not really where I'm at or looking to do at this point. But again, I think when it comes down to that, designers, and as I've said before, they could maybe play around themselves if they want to, but still create their own works. But they could have like an AI version or something maybe to coincide with it if they're looking for ways to incorporate it. So anyway, I still the point of I don't understand how people are creating books with this thing. So I typed into ChatGBT, write a thousand word book on author fears to see how it creates something like that. And I gulped. <laughs> it produced the work in like a couple seconds and it had an introduction and a title which was called Ink and Anxiety, Navigating the Depths of Author Fears for Authors. And it actually wasn't bad. <laughs> like, it wasn't like like how I felt with the responses being quite generic or whatever. I didn't actually think this was too bad. It laid it out like, so it had the introduction and uh, it had chapters one, two, three, four, all the way down to whatever and then an ending. And it had just laid out the, the fears and written a small paragraph about them. You know, so I'll read one. Chapter three, fear of criticism. The fear of criticism is a universal apprehension that authors share. The vulnerability of putting one's thoughts and creations on display makes the prospect of negative feedback a daunting prospect. This chapter explores the nature of criticism, distinguishing between constructive feedback and destructive criticisms, and offers guidance on developing resilience in the face of external opinions. So as you can hear, it's like, it sounds smart but it's the voice is pretty stale and kind of third person and lack of an, like it's informative but it's not personal and i think that voice and that's what other joanna penn and other platforms talk about voice your voice your human voice nobody's going to replace that so you don't have to i don't i wouldn't stress about these tools or anything like that people what how people might use it is they could type that in write a 70,000 word book of whatever then they go through and they'll have to edit it all and perhaps write some bits in their voice and then they'll slap it up there but again making making everyone aware that it was used by these tools is pretty important as well but if that's the way someone wants to work then go ahead it doesn't feel right to me and that's again where ethicalness will come into it and and so forth as as these tools continue and they're incorporated more and we we see the impact and the outcome that they have on all the industries because it's not just writing it's it's taking over everywhere so so in conclusion people will definitely use this you know use ai to copy and paste and create work and i hope we'll all be able to place laws on these types of behaviors much like the internet when it came into play and uh, whoever has been to university knows like whenever you have to do an assignment you've got to put it through I can't remember what it was I put it in it was like a portal and that detected plagiarism basically if you just copied and pasted stuff off the internet and it wasn't your own work 
Things like that will hopefully emerge somehow for AI generative stuff because, like I said, it's important. There's another um, link to an article, uh, turnitin.com, and it talks about the historical moments that shaped plagiarism. I'll just read you one little section from that. It's and I'll link to it in the show notes, new technologies, new challenges. For the next 150 years, plagiarism remained a topic of contention, in particular in academic and professional environments, but would remain a laboratorist task. In an analog world, finding and copying work was still a challenge. However, with the rise of computing beginning in the 40s and growing through the 80s, the world was transitioning from analog to digital and taking plagiarism with it. To that end, it was the invention of copy and paste in the mid-70s that may have had the largest impact. No longer did an individual have to copy work by hand. All they had to do was copy and paste the work into a new document. As home internet service providers began to take off in the 90s, potential plagiarists suddenly had access to a virtually unlimited amount of content to pull from. As the internet exploded, growing from 23,500 websites in 1995 to an estimated 17 million in 2000, the amount of information available grew along with it. This became an especially large problem in academia, where students quickly learned that they could avoid writing papers if they simply copied what they needed off the internet. Though plagiarism had long been against most schools' ethics codes, detecting it was a challenge. In 2000, Turnitin.com was launched. Though the technology was originally designed to detect frat file plagiarism, a pre-internet plagiarism technique that involves storing copies of physical essays for use in later years. It was adapted to deal with internet plagiarism as well. In this way, online use became something of a double-edged sword for plagiarism. While technology made plagiarism easier, it also made plagiarism detection easier. The same tools that help students plagiarise help their instructors spot it. Yeah, I think something will come be made for AI um, for that while they're working it all out. But you need to figure out how you want to use it, how you can best use it to serve your author business or not at all, and keep doing what you're doing. But know in one way or another, whether you will or you won't consciously use AI tools, you shouldn't fear them. But I encourage you to go and see for yourself. There's so much more of these tools. I have a long way to go with learning and playing around with them, like what they can do. But for the most part, I am going to be start I'm gonna start my AI use by just generally asking it questions to help aid my work to make it better, but only after I've given what I need to know some thought and use it rather as a checker for it if there are more options I haven't utilised. So my concern over these tools is like a use it or lose it type of concern. If this tool can do everything for us and we allow it to, then what happens to our creative brain? We are no longer using it organically to work and solve through the problems that arise in our creative works. Going back to the calculator analogy that I came up with, it, it comes, the, the AI comes along and we use it to help us with our math problems, but we don't do it, we don't let it do all the problems for us. If we do that, we have learned nothing ourselves and will inevitably grow dumber. So to finish up, make a list of all the software you use and start Googling their names and how they use AI so you can see how you are already using AI tools through the apps you use to create your books and run your book business. Because I guarantee you, without you even realizing it, you are. Canva, for example, Scrivener. Play around with ChatGBT and other AI tool bots to see what they can 
what they can do and so you can see what all the fuss is about and get more understanding for yourself do your own research don't listen to everybody else apply it to your books and your book business and best of all don't get caught up in one-sided conversations of one way of doing things do you and what best works best for you in your author career as long as you stay true and ethical to best author practices for this is definitely the future let's use it wisely so there you have it folks the long long chat on generative ai and will you or won't you use it in your author business i had wanted to make an episode on this just because it's exploded in conversations last year and as i said i've been watching from afar and then wanting to you know have my own take on it basically and i get the fours for and against and i just think you have to make your own call on it your own decision and um don't judge others if that's what they want to do that's that's up to them how how they go about it Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have Jody J. Sperling back again, chatting to us on the seven-figure marketing mindset for novelists. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. That's it for me. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.